Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Randy Rourke and this is the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I have a great interview today with Dr. Sarah Boston. I think you're going to find it fascinating regardless of what you think about bulldogs and Frenchies and the proliferation of brachycephalic breeds and their Instagram takeover. It's going to be a lot of fun. Gang, don't forget, we are giving away $100 a week. All you got to do is be signed up for the DrAndyWork.com newsletter, and you just get a bunch of articles from us from the DrAndyWork.com website and uh, the podcasts and fun stuff like that. It's not salesy. It's not spammy. Purely good stuff. And we give away $100 a week. The only requirement is you have to actually be in practice to receive it. Also, I'm still doing some shout-outs because I'm really enjoying it. If you want me to send a bolt of positivity to somebody that you know and just make a video telling them that they're amazing, all you got to do is write an honest review of this podcast in iTunes and then shoot me an email and say, hey, I wrote an honest review and this is who deserves a shout-out and this is why they deserve a shout-out. And I will make that for you. The email address to send it to is podcast at drandywork.com. That's podcast at drandywork.com. And I am happy to make that video. Honestly, it makes me so thrilled and it brightens people's day. And so with that, let's get into this episode. Dr. Sarah Boston is amazing. Just so you know, if you haven't listened to our interview on emotional blackmail in veterinary medicine, it's the first Cone of Shame uh, podcast. And it is exceptional. It's one of our all-time most popular episodes um, in, in any either of the podcasts that I do. Dr. Sarah Boston is a veterinary surgical oncologist practicing in the Toronto area. She is also an author, and her memoir, Lucky Dog, How Being a Veterinarian Saved My Life, was published by the House of Anazi Press in 2014. She's published numerous scientific articles and book chapters. Uh, some of them were good, she says. I, uh, I am a huge fan of what she writes for DrAndyWork.com. She has a lot of articles there. You should definitely just search her name on the site. She is incredible. She is also the co-creator of the satirical online veterinary newspaper, The Cage Liner, which I have to say, Facebook says that I am a top fan of The Cage Liner. I love it. It makes me laugh. It cracks me up. She is an, uh, a rising stand-up comedian as well. Check it out. Great interview with the amazing Dr. Sarah Boston. This is your show, we're glad you're here, we want to help you in your veterinary career, welcome to the Cone of Shame, with Dr. Andy Rourke. Hey, Dr. Sarah Boston, thanks for being back on with me. Hi, Andy, thanks for having me. Always, always my pleasure. I, I, I love our conversation. Let's not, let's not put on airs. You and I have been talking here on this Skype call for about a half an hour before we actually hit record on this. We Just, were, and that could have been a podcast in its own right. It would have been, it would have been really good podcast. I think I, I always <laughs> enjoy us catching. We talk about comedy and surgery and life in general and the holidays. And it was pretty wonderful. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about your recent article on Medium, if only we could do something about bulldogs, because it was an interesting article that got a lot of attention, as your articles tend to do. Uh, why don't you lay out your thesis? All right. Yeah, if only we could do something about bulldogs. Well, there's a few areas of veterinary medicine where I feel like, this is controversial, but I feel like veterinarians could do a lot more. Okay. 
And sometimes we're, we're in the sidelines. And I feel like we should not be in the sidelines. And this is an issue that, oh, it kind of captures all of that because I feel like we love these dogs. We're so sad about the situation that bulldogs and I guess English bulldogs and French bulldogs are in. Uh, okay. It's hard to watch them and all the health problems that they have and that we have to deal with them. However, veterinarians are necessary to breed these dogs. So we're actually complicit and we're we're part of the problem. And I think we need to talk about that. So lay out when you say the problems of bulldogs and, and Frenchies and stuff, just so everybody's on the same page, what are you referring to when you say that? So the problems, I guess the, the health problems that they have, you know, the one that I think is most upsetting is that they're brachycephalic and they have a lot of problems with their breathing. And right. they, they essentially are walking around all the time with an upper airway obstruction and different degrees of that. But most of them are pretty bad. I mean, I yeah. think everyone everyone can acknowledge that. And there's the odd one that people say, well, he's not so bad. You know, he's got less of a squishy face. But most of them, because of how they've been bred, and I would say in the last 20 years, it's been more and more so, most of them are they're pretty bad. Their breathing is very difficult. Um, there's surgeries that we can do to try to help them with that. How much does that help them? Probably helps them a little bit, but I still don't think it can really make them normal or feel good. Um, yeah. all the time. And there's some problems with those surgeries too. There's some significant complications that those surgeries just alone can have. Just if you're cutting a dog's soft palate and they already have a lot of problems with their breathing, they can get into some serious trouble. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem, but they also have, you know, disc disease, orthopedic problems. Some of the Frenchies have a lot of gastrointestinal disease, um, skin disease, ear disease. So they just have a long list of potential significant uh, health problems that affect their welfare. And then, you know, I think also affect their owners because these things are challenging to treat and they're very expensive. Um, and so, you know, what I said in the article was that it's a very, uh, it's a heartbreak wrapped in a really cute package. I mean, I don't think we can yeah. deny that they're cute. They've been bred to look like that with the big eyes and the squishy faces and they're adorable. Yeah. Um, although it doesn't, it does something different to me now when I see like a Frenchie puppy, I don't, I don't get all squishy and excited because I just think, oh, that's, you know, well, I guess if they're at my hospital, there's probably something wrong with them anyway. But I still, I just think, <laughs> oh, this, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for this owner and this dog. Um, and so, you know, those are the problems that I think are difficult and they're things that are in the breed and they're things that have actually been bred into them to look that way. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, I mean, here's the kind of interesting solution is that they can't breed naturally so they without a veterinarian being involved they can't exist and i think right. that's really interesting and also like you know it's actually something that's in our control as a profession yeah i so let me put a couple of things on the table here um one I, you and i we both like these dogs you know what i mean like like them as beings when they come into the hospital absolutely and we absolutely want them to have the best life possible and so just starting out and laying this out uh just clear caveats to put on there. We, we both, we both like these dogs and, and we want them to be happy. Uh, number two, the number of brachycephalics that I see has increased significantly over probably the last 10 years. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah. And I'd say, especially the Frenchies, and I do go off about that a bit in the article, like they're, and I do think there's sort of like that influencer Instagram um, yeah. piece to that. That's kind of hard to ignore, you know, all the celebs who've got their Frenchies and they're carrying them around like a purse. Yep. Um, 
And I'm sure that they love their dogs because they're lovable. I mean, they're, yeah. they're absolutely adorable. They were kind of bred to be cute and to, to please us. And, and they make us, they fill us with joy and all of those things. And I, you know, but having said that, if you're a multi multi-millionaire, like if you're Madonna and your dog has health problems, like you can probably handle that. Right. Better than most people, like, but because of the financial aspects, right. Sure. Um, of that. And I don't, I, I don't think it's responsible. And I, and I, I also think, wow, wouldn't it be cool if all these celebrities were like, this is a dog I rescued from the pound and look how cute it is. Like, yeah, what if, yeah. Like, what if a bunch of them, and then some of them do do that, actually, I should say that. Sure. Some of them do do that. But like, what if a whole bunch of the, a whole bunch of the really uh, influential Instagram people and, and celebrities were like, let's clear the shelters and let's, you know, help these animals that have been abandoned have homes. Like if that was the push, that would be so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. You know, for me, this has been sort of a case of no better, do better. So about about three years ago, I started getting emails. And what would happen is we would post like a picture of a of a Frenchie or a bulldog and it would be sort of a stock photo and putting them on the Facebook page. And I would and I, and I would be like, look at this wonderful dog and how beautiful this dog is. And Honestly, to be fair, the, the emails I've gotten have, have generally, to, to a, a one, been very respectful and very nice. But doctors that I that I think highly of, that I know, like Dr. Fraser Hale is another Canadian, um, who sent me multiple emails and says, Andy, I love you, and I love you know all the great things that you do. I wish you wouldn't highlight these dogs because you, you know you put them forward as being beautiful and perpetuate people's desire to want to have them. And, and I've got to say those emails, I, I read them and I read them and I, you know, and I, and I hear them and it's really caused me to stop and think about the messages that we send. And I, I really like the, I, the way you put it when you say, you know, we've kind of been sidelined here, even though we're directly involved, you know, in, in the perpetuation of, of these breeds. So when we look at Breggy Savalix, I, it bothers me that the the snoring sounds they make when they're awake are are normalized and cute, you know. It's like, oh, listen to them, you know, little piggy noises, and you go, ah, that's a it's an elongated soft palate and a hypoplastic trachea and maybe some averted laryngeal saccules. Like, like th there's a there's medical things that's not normal. That's because your dog doesn't breathe well, you know. And, and that once it kind of settles into your brain that way, you can't unhear it and, and you can't yeah. unsee it. And I, I think what, you know, what spoke to me about your article and why I kind of want to talk to you about this is because one of the things I, I just love talking to you about, like when we talked about emotional blackmail in, in the vet clinic, I, I really like talking to you about times when I feel kind of trapped. And I think that that's how, I think that's kind of where I am with these dogs right now is I'm not coming on here with with wild solutions today, and I didn't really get the impression that you had a core set of of beliefs either. And I think that's the the title of the article is "If Only We Could Do Something About Bulldogs." I think is a beautiful way of kind of saying that. I I worry. I think I worry what a lot of veterinarians worry about is I don't want to shame someone who brings me their dog that they love. You know what I mean? Absolutely, like, absolutely. I, I, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want people to think that I don't love these dogs, you know what I mean? Or that I'm not going to take the best care of them in the world. And, and at the same time, 
I am involved in this process. You know what I mean? I, I, I am, you know, at the clinic and we do C-sections to deliver these dogs. And, and I do see a lot of them. And it's, it's almost like I feel trapped too, because once the dog comes in, the decision has been made. And now this, now this dog is here. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's almost like, how do we start to communicate and educate when people are thinking about the breed that they might like to have in their home? You know what I mean? I I think, I think that's more the productive conversation. And I struggle to kind of get my head around how to bring that up and how to have that conversation. What are, yeah. your, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I do actually have a blanket solution, so we can talk about that in a bit. But um, <laughs> the dogs that are here, we have to love them and take care of them and make them as comfortable as possible. Yep. Like, that's just, you know, I, you know that, that is what it is, right? But I think it's more going forward. What are we going to do? Um, so I just was at our surgery meeting in the fall, and there was a whole, I think it was a whole half-day session all about brachycephalics and how to manage them and the surgeries we should be doing. And I, that just made me pause, honestly, like these are amazing surgeons that I respect. Um, and they're, they're dedicating so much time to like, to do this right, you know, to, to help, like, how, what do we do with their everted saccules and how do we manage these dogs and what's the best way to go about examining them. And it was, it's really interesting. And I, I have so much respect for those people. Mm-hmm. However, there's something about that that seems wrong. It's not the right word, but I'm like, wow, is this like, is this where we are? Like, yeah, here's a, like, here's a breed that we've kind of created and now they can't even breed anymore. And over the generations of dogs, we've bred them to look like this. And now we've been so successful at making them look squishy that now we have to have a whole half day at a surgery meeting (laughs) to talk about how to fix that. And I just think that's kind of wrong. Like I, I, we have to fix the ones that are here the best we can, but we could like, there's so much we can do to manipulate the breed and dogs breed so quickly. Like look at the dogs breeds that we have. Right. And, and we can change this. Like we have the power and, and we, I mean, veterinarians, not breeders, because we really do have the power. And there's, there's veterinarians in the UK that are a bit ahead of this curve and they're trying to promote breeding the brachycephalics with a bit of a longer face. And, you know, they are working really hard on that. So, I mean, I think, there's other areas other than North America that are actually getting ahead of us on this. But I think our profession, like in North America, everywhere, we need to kind of get on the same page yeah, and decide what we're going to do going forward. And I, I guess my ideas that I put forward in that article were like, if you are doing a C-section on a brachycephalic, what if, what if you legally had to spay the dog at the same time when you're doing the C-section? Like you just had to, because there's some things that legally you have to do as a veterinarian. And what if you weren't allowed to do AI anymore? Like, okay, then this problem is going to resolve pretty quickly. Right. And, and I also don't think that's radical. People might think, well, that's radical. Is it radical to be able to reproduce on your own? Like, is that a radical thought? Like maybe it is, but I don't think it should be. And I think being able to breathe, like that should, you know, be a breed standard. I think that, what's the big dog show in New York? Westminster. Yeah. Yeah. Bulldog this year. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I know. I, I, I Cringe. did. And again, I don't want to make anybody mad, but I, no. I definitely gritted my teeth and thought, oh, why, you know, is this, why? does this mean I'm going to be seeing a flood of, of bulldog puppies coming in? Probably. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I know I, I, no, I, I had that. I had the exact sort of same thought. And I would say 
the idea of saying I can't do C-sections without spaying your dog that that does it's that definitely feels radical but I'll tell you what should feel radical is the idea of here's here are the recommended surgeries for these dogs not not even C-section but here's the soft palate, you know, resection that we're going to do. And here's what we do about these stenotic nares. Like I don't want to normalize like routine surgeries to give dogs normal lives. Like I, I, I don't think I'm saying that very well, but I, I think you probably get where I'm coming from. No, you know what I mean? Like, and they still aren't normal. That's the thing. Right. Like you can, I mean, those surgeries, like they're not normal. They're well, and they're not small surgeries either. Let's no, be honest. This is not. Yeah, this is not a, a little like lump removal. You know what I mean, or a superficial thing. We're we're getting in there and we're doing airway surgery. It's just, um, yeah. This is this is significant, painful surgery that I would not want done. I don't want sinus surgery done on me. I I don't want you know inner oral you know surgery. Period. I would like to avoid that and. Just to kind of be like, I don't ever want to get to the place where it's just normalized to the point where we don't think about it and we go, that's just what, that's just what we do with these guys. I, I don't, I don't like that. That That's kind of a line for me. I think that I'm sort of starting to press up against is I'm seeing this normalization. I, I don't, I don't think I can go there. I, I just don't no. think I can get behind that. I call it the bulldog maintenance package. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I call it. They got to come in and get their maintenance package. And I, yeah, like. I don't know. I, you know, I think at least we just need to stop and think about it. And another issue that I think we have as veterinarians is that we're so compartmentalized. So it's all these state, you know, it's, everything's with the state or with the province. And I don't think it allows us to get together enough to say, hey, this is illegal now, or hey, we're going to we're gonna change this, or we're going to try to change this breed. Or as veterinarians, we're at least going to come out and, you know, what do we do? We make our, we give our opinions. That's what we do, I guess. Like, we don't... We, <laughs> I think we need to change laws. Like, I think we need to do more and maybe, maybe get a little radical in our thinking because these dogs are really hurting. And I think we're the only group, like who else is going to help them? Right. I, like, and, and we can help them by trying to fix their airway the best that we can. And that's great for the ones that are here. But I think that we need to going forward, we need to try to like look ahead in the next 10 years and say like, wouldn't it be great if no one did airway surgery anymore in 10 years? Like that's a, that's an achievable goal. Yeah. It is, yeah. you know, and, and I think we could look back and say, oh, God, remember what these dogs used to look like? And you now we've been able to breed them differently and change things so that they can breed on their own and they don't they don't breathe like that. And they're still a great dog. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there's an education campaign that veterinarians can be a part of or can sort of push in their own practices that don't feel isolating. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. How do you yeah. say to people... Hey, if you're thinking about a brachycephalic dog, know that these are the common problems and this is the experience in life that the dog has. And how do you do that without coming off like, like you have some moral judgment? Cause I don't want to, I, I don't want people to feel that way, but at the same time, I need them to be educated. I just, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive too. I, I tend to believe that people are innately good and if they just understood, then they would make better choices. And I think that's very true for a lot, a lot of people. I think they just don't really, 
I don't think they really grasped. I don't think I really grasped until later, you know, when I was a veterinarian, what yeah. it meant to have a smush faced dog. I, I just don't, and I don't think that that information is, is readily out there. And so I don't want to, I don't want to ostracize the people who have these dogs the same way. There's a lot of people who are out there right now looking at Frenchies on Instagram thinking I would love to have that dog. And it, I feel like if we could just talk to them, they might re reconsider that uh, as far as selecting the breed. And then the other conversation is a larger one that I completely agree with you on. I, I think we can save these dogs by working to elongate, you know, the elongate those faces again and start to breed because you're right. It, it's been a fairly aggressive shift when we've bred these dogs for smash more and more smash faces. And now we're really seeing the negative consequences I think we could keep, I'm not saying away with these breeds, but I do think, I think we can take these breeds and I think that we can breed back into them, elongate those faces, get them where, breed them, breed them for breathing, breed them for comfort, you know, and we can bring them back to being a viable dog that doesn't have these uh, quality of life issues. Yeah. And you know, we haven't even talked about the mafia. The mafia. Yes. That's a thing. Like these dogs are so in demand. Oh, yeah. And they're so expensive. And like, you know, people didn't believe me at work when I brought this up. But it's true. People can Google it themselves. But like mafia, are, they're, they're dealing with Frenchie puppy mills now. And I just, that is upsetting to me. Like even yeah. just puppy mills is upsetting. Then I just think a mafia puppy mill? Like that sounds like hell. I don't know. That's like, that's just terrible that they're so in demand that that's even happening. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Pu- puppy mills with brachycephalics are particularly upsetting just because they are purely breeding to sell and, and there's no quality of life consideration or anything like that. That that's um, yeah, that that's per- that's particularly, particularly difficult and upsetting. So I don't know if that's part of like, you know, can veterinarians be a part of helping breeders, certifying breeders? I don't know. Like I'm just throwing out ideas, but to say, you know, these are good breeders. These are, you know, these are responsible breeders that are, that you're going to get, I mean, you're not, you know, guarantees in life, but someone who's like really trying to help the breed, you know, cause I know there's people that love, like they love the breed. They're just, and veterinarians that have Frenchies and they, sure. they absolutely love them and they probably will always want to have one. Well, these, these dogs are not, um, they are, they are not simply a squish nose. You know what I mean? They, they have their personalities. They, I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out how to say this. It's yeah. like, they're not, they're not just a pretty face. Um, they, they do have breed specific traits. They have personalities. You know, the, they are a certain kind of dog that some people really love that personality. I, I don't want these breeds to go away. I, I like these breeds, but we need to help them. Yeah. But I also think like just on a, I don't know, this is kind of a random thought. Like we have so many breeds now and, you know, the doodle guy was like, that was a, what do you say is the biggest regret of his life was creating the doodle? The labradoodle guy said, yeah, yeah that, that was guy. the biggest regret of his life. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but <laughs> if you look at like um, dogs in the North and Canada, like the, the strays in the North and Canada, or you look at the pot cakes in the Caribbean um, or my interns from India and there's these street dogs in India. Those dogs are so healthy, so smart, and they're so, they have great personalities because they're really smart dogs. And I'm like, ah, 
that's interesting. Like they've kind of bred themselves. Like we've been like, you know, taking dogs for specific characteristics. And then we have like breeds that are predisposed to cancer and hip dysplasia and that can't breathe and all these things that we've done. And the ones that have just been left on an island to run free have had to figure it out. They don't get IBD. Like they don't have a, they're not allergic to chicken. You know what I'm saying? Like remove natural selection. You know what I mean? From people too, from human beings as well. Like people who would have previously been removed from the gene pool. Somehow we keep them safe and and we allow them to breed. Oh my God, Andy, you're in trouble. Oh, I know. But it's true. You know, like, like natural selection has gone away, but that's why you see these, you know, the street dogs, they are still the product of natural. So they are smart. You know why? Because the dumb ones get squashed. I know. Uh, And that's awful, but also true. They don't get cancer. Like they, I don't know, like they live to be able to breed. And what I'm saying, Andy, is we're all going to India to get a dog. <laughs> what we're saying is Let's go. Indian exactly, dogs that's are the my message. Actually, they are amazing dogs. My, uh, my intern told me they're, they're amazing. Um, and the pot cakes are like, I don't know if people bring them back from the Caribbean. So we see those that they're really cute and they're really smart. And they kind of have to be cute because they got to figure out how to, you know, not have people kick them and, and get food from people and, they, they have to be resistant to different diseases because like, it is natural selection and we've completely removed that. And I think the Frenchie is probably the, the prime example because it can't even breed. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And oh, so totally. Like that is by definition the end of natural selection. <laughs> so I just think we need to, I don't know, just think about that. Think about that when we're selecting pets or recommending pets. Like if you end up uh, in an off leash park, most people will say, because I have a mutt. So people will be like, oh, they're the best. They're the best dogs. I'm like, well, if they're the best dogs, why are they not? Why isn't this park just full of mutts? Because I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like people, yeah. they seek out different, you know, different breeds. But I. Sure. I mean, I think we all have, we, in defense of non-Heinz 57 dogs. Yeah. Uh, we, I think a lot of us have things about dogs that we really like. Absolutely. You know? And certain breeds. Exactly right. Certain Absolutely. breeds we say, I yeah. love this breed. I love this about them. And, you know, and like, yeah. I, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't hold that against anybody. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with healers now because my dog's half healer. Yeah. I think I'll yeah. always have a healer cross or healer because they're, they're, I think they're amazing. Yeah. He rubble's yeah. a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. So I do get it. And people, and you, you have clients like that, right? They, they have a Doberman, yeah. their Doberman dies of DCM. They get another Doberman. Of course. And they, and they know it. And they're like, yep. Yeah, that's who we are yeah oh i mean i see a lot a lot of us had a dog growing up and for whatever reason like that dog and its mannerisms or its affect or just the way it looks like it's just imprinted on us and and there's some deep-seated you know comfort almost uh, interwoven into that so people these are essentially and and again maybe i overplay this but i I think you probably feel as strongly as i do where it's like you know picking uh when we talk about our dogs we're, we're essentially talking about a family member you know, or, or, or partner, you know, my dog comes into my house and they are integrated into my daily life. And so, you know, having preferences or, you know what I mean? Or things that you oh, want yeah. in a dog, even as far as size, you know, I've always had big dogs and it's just something about being able to kind of pat them on the rib cage and hear that kind of thunk, thunk, thunk. I don't know why that's what it means to me <laughs> to be a dog, but in the clinic, there's little dogs and I, and I love them and I understand why people get them. Just for some reason, when I think about a dog, for me, that's just sort of a blind spot. I'm like, nope, my dog weighs 50 pounds. And I don't know why, but it but it does, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, so, I think it's great. I, I think it also speaks to the fact what you said. Like, I, because I think there is a chance people think, oh, you know, Sarah Boston hates bulldogs or 
I love every dog. Like yeah, I, 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 I love every single dog. Like I've even the aggressive dogs. I still love them. Like every patient I have, I've been a vet. This is my 24th year being a vet. And I love dogs more now than I did before. Like I just, I, I'm so glad I get to work with them. I think they're so interesting. So I, I think the bulldogs are super cute. Yeah. I just, I feel horrible for them. Like that's yeah. the thing. I just, I feel kind of sick about it when I watch them and I see the sick ones cause they're coming into our emergency clinic or they're, you know, coming in to for surgery or whatever. They're coming. Right. <laughs> All the millions of reasons why they come in. And so I just, I feel sorry for them. Well, I, I see yeah. dogs as these beings of innocence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even, even, even the quote unquote bad dogs, you know, or, or the, or the dogs that try to bite. I see, you know, I, I see fear and I see experience guiding them or, or whatever, but I, I still see this as a being of innocence, which is why when I look at dogs that can't breathe, I go, that's why it's so sad to me, I guess. You know what I mean? Is like, there's no choice that was made here by this dog, you know, and, and they're just happy to be alive. And I, I love that for them, but it also breaks my heart for them, you know, Yeah. that, yeah. that they're just yeah. there and they're present in the moment and. And there's, there's nothing more than that. And so I, I feel, I guess that's why I feel that we have such an obligation to kind of protect them. Yeah. Well, there's that whole weird thing, which I'm sure everyone, you know, who's worked in a vet clinic has experienced. We have a, a bulldog or any kind of the really extreme brachycephalics and they're, they got a surgery, like a spave and whatever, and they don't extubate. Like they're sitting up looking around yeah. with a, with a tube. And they don't, they're like pretty good with that. Like, like, oh, this is working for me. And we all have seen that and said, oh, that's, they don't mind that. Any other dog would have chomped on his tube or you'd have to like run over and extubate them. But these dogs were like, huh, look at that. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Because there's no other dog you would let wake up and have their tubes sticking out like that. Yeah. But we're like, oh, he's breathing better than he ever has. Huh. But then we kind of just extubate them and off we go. We've what? even got like Wait an inside joke, you know what I mean? Like surely you've been there and the bulldog has woken up and it's got the tube and the vet next to you kind of elbows you and goes, that's the best that dog has breathed in his entire oh, life. Yeah. You know? But then we, it's weird though. Like there's moments like that, that that happens. Or then you, you go to a conference and they're talking about how to fix these dogs, but we kind of just, or I don't know, like we just, we kind of just, we register it, but not really. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like. Like that's, that's bizarre. But I think because people have just kind of grown up with it, we're just like, oh yeah, yeah that's how it is with them. That's how bulldog That's is. how it is. We, we, we just sort of normalize it in our minds. Yeah. I, I think we do need to step back and look at this and go, this is not normal. Like this yeah. is just everybody pause for a second. And you know, <laughs> when you're and, picking and up the, like this. the tube for the cat and you know that that's the tube, like it's the endotracheal tube you'd normally use in a cat, but you've selected it for the bulldog. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> you know their trachea is too small. Like, but you just do that, and you just kind of naturally do it. Like, but wait a second, like their trachea is really small. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I, I think that I think I think that sort of mental exercise is good and healthy for us in practice. You know, the place that I think is the easiest for us to intervene is the conversations about you know breed recommendations. When people say, what do you think about this? What do you think about a Frenchie? I'm sure you get that as well. You know, people know you're a veterinarian and they're thinking about a pet. And the the approach that I have that I like, because I don't want to slam anybody or anything, but if somebody says to me, hey, I'm thinking about getting a bulldog, what do you think? I say, let me talk to you about pet insurance. Yeah. 
And then, yeah. and then I just go, I, and I even say, wonderful dogs, love their personality. Let me tell you about the things that they are likely to need and the medical issues that I see in them. And then I'm just, I'm just honest. I'm not trying to do anything other than educate and inform them about what they, and generally that's the only conversation that we have. Cause they go, Oh, tell me about a beagle. Great. Let me tell you. And then, <laughs> that's a much shorter conversation, not recommending a beagle per se, but from a medical yeah. standpoint, let, let me, let me tell you what, what to look for there, you know, but those breed recommendation things, um, that's a conversation I like to have because, and I'm glad they asked because I can, I can give them a medical perspective and I don't, it doesn't sound judgy. It, I'm not, you know, if you choose to go this way, that's fine. I just want you to go in here with eyes wide open and know this is what they need. And it's, it's, I don't know. You could say it's a, uh, um, maybe it's passive aggressive. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Do you think so? No, I mean, I recommend insurance to everybody, but yeah, I really push it for the, you know, the, <laughs> the Frenchies. Um, I just feel like we need to do more. I, that's all. I, yeah, I think no, as, a, as a group, as a profession, like we got to kind of figure this out because I, I think the piece that I can't let go of is like, they exist because of us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like, do. And it's, I, I, it's, we are, I don't know. We are complicit in their yeah. existence. And, and, and yeah. I don't think you can argue your way around that. The, the way I'm, I see this going that I don't want it to go and why I want to sort of talk with you. And I think we need to start this conversation in our profession. I do not want it to go in a way where the people who have a monetary interest drive the bus, yeah. you know, and they're like, yeah, buy a Frenchie online, $2,500 us. You know what I mean? And, and they make the face squish, uh, flatter and flatter and flatter because they can sell those dogs for more money. I, I don't like that. I don't want those people to control the conversation, us to be silent. Um, I think that there are people on the other side who are raising awareness, and, and I like that. I, I don't want this to become a thing where those people become militant. You know what I mean? And they're like, if you... If you deliver a bulldogs, you're a terrible veterinarian. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I see that. And, and I under, you know, some, I liked, I guess here's, here's my thing, Sarah, just being, you know, me, I'm such an optimist and I believe the best in people. I want to believe that we as a profession can guide this and make progress without, um, without huge, violent, adamant conflict to force our hand like we shouldn't have to get to the place where people are protesting before we say you know what i think we could i think we should start to intervene here you know what i mean i think we should start to make changes and so i i can see it coming that way where where ultimately veterinarians get trapped between people who want to sell these dogs and people who are uh essentially animal animal rights activists activists for these dogs uh, and veterinarians get pinched in the middle I don't, I don't like that. I want veterinarians to be fully involved in the conversation and out front and making changes because they're the right thing to do, not because we're getting pushed from behind and not, and not to serve some slime balls that care nothing about money and, uh, or care all about money and nothing about the health of the animals that they're selling. I, I, I don't, I don't want those people in charge at all. Yeah, I think. An issue I have, like, I love this profession, but an issue I have with our profession is we often put ourselves in the middle. Yeah. And we often put ourselves on the sideline. 
And I think it's the personality of the veterinarians and like, you know, then everything kind of blows up in our face. So whether it's a rodeo or whether it's this issue, whatever it is. And like veterinarians are always trying to do the right thing, I believe. They're yeah. always trying to do the right thing, but sometimes it doesn't work out and it's because we're not may- maybe sticking our neck out like we should. And I can, I think that's my perspective because the other side to this, like, you know, you said, well, there's people that are just in it for the money. How much money do veterinarians make off of bulldogs? Like a lot, right? Not just breeding, not just AI. That's one part of it. How much oh, money yeah. do we make from their skin problems, their breathing problems, their orthopedic problems? Like, thousands and thousands of dollars right so like is the public going to turn on us and be like what are you doing like (laughs) this is what i always worry about i worry about this with declaws i worry about this with injection site sarcomas that we haven't taken the lead enough as a group and that suddenly the public opinion is going to turn on us and even though veterinarians are always sort of trying to toe that line and do the right thing People are just going to turn and say, yeah, you were just trying to make money off these dogs, which which isn't even true. No, but exactly. It's, you can't it's, argue it's with the, the fact opposite. that we do, yeah. we do it, make money off these dogs. You know, I, if, anyway. we, if we were driven by money, we would be promoting these dogs like we would be holding <laughs> bulldog adoptathons. Um, <laughs> To but I, that's not why we're here that's not why we're no, here no i know but i still think you can't argue with like bulldogs are you're, you're seeing more and more i see more and more like they're they're they have a lot of problems right and like i don't know if everyone had like these healthier dogs that don't have all these problems like yeah. these dogs i'm talking about these 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 mutts that are like kind of have selected themselves to be pretty healthy like you're not going to see them that much but i, I wonder i i think if i Shooting from the hip. So let me say one more thing about about sort of the pressure and then and then sort of talk about solution a little bit. I, I'm with you. I, I I think that we I think that we as a profession, um, to your point about veterinarians not taking the lead sometimes, I think that declawing is a great example of that where um as the research came out and we learned more and more about the long term effect of declawing we kind of as a profession stepped back and sort of said what the pet owner wants, you know, we're, we're going to support the pet owner because we don't want them to go somewhere else or them to stop listening to us. And I think that as a profession, I think that we missed a, a real trick there and that we had the opportunity to be more, more forceful in what we believed or what we thought was right. And still in a way that doesn't, that doesn't put us in at, at ends with, with the pet owners. You know what I mean? That, that doesn't shame them. That doesn't say, how dare you ask about declawing your cat a, a way that, that educated them. I, I don't think we did that well as a profession. I think we're catching up. I think, you know, with a lot of States banning declawing, I think that's going to be the future. I, I, I really do. And, and more and more practices just say, we, we don't do that. I, I think we were slower than we should have been. And this is another area where I, I see history repeating itself and go, yeah. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. You know, I, I think so that that's what I worry about as far as us sort of getting, getting pressed. I, as far as action goes, I think, I think steering people away from the breeds or, or, or being negative about the breeds is, is probably not a strategy that's going to work real well because there, there are a lot of people who really, they love these breeds. But rather, I think uh, uh, some sort of a breed to breathe initiative, you know, a program of, of explaining 
our concerns about these breeds and how we want them to be healthier, you know, and, you know, that get, let's, let's bring back the bulldog nose, you know, things like that, that make it say like, I understand that you love these dogs. Um, they're wonderful dogs. We want to help these dogs, not shame you for the pet that you love. Something like that. I, I, I think that, I think the answer may be therein. Yeah, if you Google the Georgia Bulldog, like the original Georgia Bulldog, mm-hmm. it has a nose, like from oh, whenever yeah. that was. Yeah, like if you Google, and it's kind of interesting, I'm sure lots of people have done that, but it's it's actually kind of crazy because you can kind of, because that Bulldog is, I don't know how many generations are on There's like now. seven or eight in now, yeah. Yeah, so if you look at number one and then the, what we have now, like you can just kind of see very quickly, like, wow, this breed's really changed. And we did that, you know, like we as in the breeders, but veterinarians were part of that, right? And so... I think we need to somehow be involved again and more than just doing the AI and doing the C-section and sending them home. Um, you know, these dogs also like the, the English ones are predisposed to cleft palates Yeah, and there's surgeons that will fix them all. <laughs> That's a problem, you know, like <laughs> you can fix them, but those dogs should not be breeding. Yeah, exactly. Those dogs, those should, dogs should be, be removed from the breeding from the gene pool. And then yeah, I don't exactly. know how, big is our gene pool and do we have any bulldogs with noses anymore i don't know i don't know the answer to that you know no, i i'm no, i i agree and so I, I practice in south carolina and georgia's sort of right over the border and there's there's a ton of people who went to university of georgia and uga is the bulldog oh, and that's a yeah. great bulldog name you know oh and yeah they, and they see but you know they've gone through a lot of uggas and you know <laughs> and every now and then the uga mascot will die of heat stroke you know, they'll yeah. be out uh, for a parade or thing. And they, you know, it's just, again, it kind of goes back to your point of like, this is not normal. You know, the, the, we have dogs that we're terribly worried about getting overheated. Why? Because they can't off gas. They can't pant. They can't thermoregulate because of the way that they're made. Uh, that That's just, let's not let that become so normal that we don't see it as a profession. Yeah. And then mm. let's change the laws. Sorry, I'm just being radical. <laughs> you're like, you're all about the No, yeah. I'm all about change the laws, Andy. I'm sorry, I'm just saying it. I'm okay. just, just put me on record. We have to change the laws. Gotcha. That's it. I think that's what we have to do. I'm just, that's it. We have to know. change the laws. We have to make change. Otherwise, it's going to be just like the declaw thing. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want that. And you don't. <laughs> I... Thank you for talking about this with me. I love that you will wade into these issues and say what you think. I, I, just, I don't even, the funny thing is I don't even, like, I just do cancer surgery, but I still, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. They still get cancer, but I'm just saying, like, I don't, it's not my day-to-day practice anymore seeing these dogs, but they still, I'm around them, you know? Sure. And well, you, so. you're extremely insightful. You say what you think. You are very introspective and you're extremely witty and you, um, you make a great case and a great argument. And that's why you're so special and our profession is so lucky to have you. So thank you for being a part of it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Always fun to be on your podcast. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. 
And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you loved it. Hey, got something super fun that we made over uh, on the Uncharted side. We have a guide. It's a free uh, like a little ebook thing, a uh, checklist thing that we're giving away. It's 25 ways to show your team gratitude. It's something that we just love and makes us happy, and it comes from the Uncharted community. If you want a copy, I'm happy to give it to you. All you got to do is text Thanks team as one word, T-H-A-N-K-S-T-E-A-M. Just text that to 44222 and we will get you a copy. So I'm happy for you to have that. Just know that that's a thing that we made and we're giving it out in the world. Gang, take care. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week and we'll see you soon. Bye.